This is Keeping Connected, a special series produced through the Connected Nation podcast. In this series, we talk with leaders working to secure the broadband and digital futures of our communities. Specifically, we talk with individuals who serve in varying public or private capacities, working to ensure our communities are keeping connected. I'm your host, Wes Kerr. Today's guest is Commissioner Tremaine Phillips of the Michigan Public Service Commission. Prior to his appointment, Commissioner Phillips worked in the public and private sectors to accelerate the nation's transition to clean, renewable, and reliable energy resources. Most recently, he served as the director of Cincinnati 2030 District, leading the organization to become one of the largest and most engaged 2030 districts in the country. As vice president of strategic initiatives for Empower Saves, a Columbus-based energy efficiency, data analytics, and marketing company, he was recognized in 2016 as an emerging clean energy leader through the Midwest's Energy News' 40 Under 40 Award. He previously worked for the Prima Civitas Foundation, the State of Michigan's Department of Energy, Labor, and Economic Growth, and the Michigan Environmental Council. He also spent a summer in Washington, D.C. as an intern with the Obama administration's White House Council on Environmental Quality, working to advance climate and clean energy policies, including the Clean Power Plan. Commissioner Phillips is a member of the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners, NARUC, and serves on its Committee on Consumers and the Public Interest, the Committee on Telecommunications, and the Committee on Critical Infrastructure. He also serves on the Board of Directors of the Organization of PJM States and represents the Commission on Governor Gretchen Whitmer's Michigan Poverty Task Force, the Michigan Council on Future Mobility, and Connecting Michigan Task Force. In February 2020, he was appointed to serve on the NARUC Broadband Expansion Task Force, a two-year effort to identify best practices and solutions to improving broadband access in underserved communities throughout the country. Mr. Phillips is a graduate of Michigan State University and The Ohio State University, where he received his Juris Doctorate from the Moritz College of Law and an MA in Public Policy and Management from the John Glenn College of Public Affairs. Commissioner Phillips, thanks for joining us. Good morning, and I, I do apologize for uh, you having to read through all of that, but I, but I appreciate it. No, no worries. Uh, quite a set of accomplishments, and and it's always good to to share these with folks so that they understand uh, the background and and the work and expertise that uh, has brought you to the point where you're serving the state uh, at the Public Service Commission. We appreciate that. Yes, absolutely. And there's a, a lot of points in uh, my background and history that connect into uh, this discussion today. No pun intended. Commissioner Phillips, we try to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. And one way to do that is is just like we did to, to explain all the various different things that you've done or or have led you to your official capacities. However, one of those things that's a little bit of fun to do is to, to, to just ask, what is it that we would find you uh, engaged in or doing outside of all of the various different official capacities that you have? Well, uh, w- one disclaimer I will say uh, at the beginning of the call is uh, you may hear someone else joining uh, the discussion with <laughs> us today. That is my son, Roman, who is, uh, he just received some uh, vaccination shots yesterday and he's, he's a little punky uh, this morning. Uh, but you know, since the pandemic, I've really got uh, more into bird watching. I'm actually looking out my back window now and uh, looking at the, I think I now own five different types of feeders that I've put in my backyard. I think that has helped to keep me uh, sane and, and a little bit grounded 
uh, when you're on, you know, uh, nine plus hours of, uh, of conference calls and video calls uh, a day. Uh, the other thing that I'm uh, very interested in and, and, uh, and actually uh, the snow and the cold last night to participate in is uh, uh, amateur astronomy. Uh, I just found out recently that you can, with binoculars, are a uh, amateur telescope, see not only uh, Mercury, Mars, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn, but also Uranus and Neptune, which I did not know was possible. And last night was actually a great opportunity to see Uranus because it was positioned between uh, the moon and Mars. And one of the difficult uh, things, uh, it's difficult to see Uranus just because it is uh, so dim and it gets lost amongst other stars. But when it's positioned between two major bodies like Mars and the moon, it can help you in visually pinpointing uh, where that planetary body is. So unfortunately, it was a little cloudy outside. I didn't get to see it, but that's uh, that's something else that I, I really enjoy. And I've, I've been able to get uh, not only my daughter into uh, and hopefully my son soon enough, but uh, but also my wife and my entire family. That has been something that our family has actually uh, taken in as well. And and not to the extent that, that you have been, but certainly when there are uh, easier to find and easier to see events, we have, you'll, you have find, uh, I know our neighbors probably wonder what we're doing. Uh, we're out standing around in the dark and <laughs> the cold looking up in the sky. In the middle of the street for me last <laughs> night. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, it, again, it, it gets into the discussion today. Uh, I have a, a number of, of apps on my phone, one being Starwalk, another being uh, ISS Spotter, where you can catch passes of the International Space Station, which if you are others on uh, listening today have not done, it is, it is truly a majestic experience to, to see that craft cross overhead and know that we have Americans and, and uh, uh, individuals from all across the planet on board uh, uh, that, that, uh, that mission. But it's, uh, it's all due to the connectivity uh, and the ubiquitous nature of these devices and apps that allow us to experience things that we just wouldn't have been able to experience only uh, a decade or two ago. And I have to ask, in that same vein and, and connected to the conversation that we're talking about today, have you had the opportunity to, to watch the uh, Starlink Constellation Trail? I have not yet. And I, I did just, uh, someone just noted to me there is an app to track that as well. Uh, I've gone out on two separate occasions, but uh, the light pollution here in uh, mid-Michigan, uh, I need to go out to a more rural area, I think, to be able to catch it. It's fine for seeing things uh, like ISS, which is so bright uh, when you get it in the right location, but I've not been able to see the Starlink Pass, and and uh, I really welcome that experience. Have you? Y yes, we have. It's actually, it's kind of neat, and it, it's a little strange, too, to see this kind of line across the sky of uh -huh. satellites, and you know, um, I guess you end up with a window, a two or three day window, and that line just keeps getting longer and fainter because of the, you know, the further uh, they spread apart. But it is neat and uh, certainly encourage uh, you and, and the listeners, for that matter, as Starlink continues to, to launch those. And as we, you know, in the coming months, learn more and more about its uh, capabilities to uh, uh, provide Internet and broadband services in, in more and more rural locations. Yeah, certainly. And just uh, we know through the recent uh, RDOF uh, fund and, and response from uh, providers here in Michigan 
that one of the responses to uh, that that grant opportunity was a subsidiary of uh, of SpaceX and, and a part of that Starlink project. And uh, they proposed providing uh, satellite uh, internet connectivity to communities in the Upper Peninsula. So, you know, for those communities that are, are uh, where t- terrestrial uh, connections can be uh, difficult, it's certainly a, a, a huge potential option uh, for some of the most rural communities uh, here in our state. Yeah, it's uh, it's neat, and and thanks for sharing that. It, it was a uh, it's a great way to segue into our conversation today. And and one of the things that that I kind of like to do is I listed off all of the things in in your official roles as they stand. But could you explain a little bit about what it's like to be a, a commissioner with the Public Service Commission and and kind of your roles and responsibilities there? Well, the the Public Service Commission, the Michigan Public Service Commission is the chief regulatory agency for uh, the electricity, natural natural gas and telecommunications industries. Uh, So our primary role is uh, within the regulatory sphere of the electricity and and natural gas uh, industries, as you and, and many listening uh, may know uh, our our state authority over telecommunications companies has continued to uh, diminish over the years, and and more and more of that authority is is uh, being taken on by the FCC. Uh, so we do not have any direct authority over uh, broadband services or broadband providers, but there's a lot of uh, tangential. Um, uh, authority or uh, impact that we could have on the deployment of that infrastructure and the adoption of those services. And, and we certainly can walk through in detail uh, a number of those. But in, in terms of uh, the role here uh, at the commission, I'm one of, of three commissioners here. Uh, it is an uh, incredible opportunity to be able to really help to uh, support and ensure the reliability and safety of these foundational utilities uh, and and, uh, ensure the economic development for a state of 10 million, almost 10 million uh, uh, citizens. Uh, But it is also an incredible amount of work. Uh, There's just uh, monumental changes happening in the uh, electricity uh, industry and and, in our electric grid. And there are also going to be substantial changes continuing to occur in the telecommunications industry as well. So uh, I, I would not want to be anywhere else doing this job. I love the state of Michigan and, and love to be able to invest in this time here. But uh, but it is <laughs> exhausting at times, certainly. And, and Commissioner, you you touched on just briefly there the the kind of evolutionary change that's happening in the in the power grid side as they as the power systems switch over to to digital controlling and and monitoring and so on and so forth and, and that does have um, a, a direct tie back to uh, things that are happening in the telecom industry um, as as quite honestly those the, those two industries begin to rely on uh, or rely more heavily on similar infrastructure 
Uh, and so it is interesting to see kind of as those industries are converging on one another and how they um, begin to partner with other others. We, you know, we're seeing that in different places around the country and around the world, for that matter. Um, and it really is kind of changing the landscape of how um, or where you draw the lines between uh, different service types and different provider types. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and puts you as a commissioner, I know, in, in kind of a, a tough spot at times as, as you all review and look at and, and make decisions based upon, you know, the laws and, and requirements that are set forth uh, that you all have to, to you know, kind of live under and, and help govern with. So uh, certainly can appreciate that. Um, as we as we talk today, I'm curious, I'm asking a set of questions of, of everybody that we that we have time to speak with and, and have a conversation with. And one of those is how important is broadband and technology, in your opinion? Well, as we've seen over the last nine to 10 months, uh, this is really a quintessential uh, uh, service for communities and, and families uh, across the country and especially here in the state of Michigan, you know, the, the four primary reasons uh, why we've seen broadband be so critically important uh, are, are certainly in the area of employment and workforce. You know, I, again, our staff were, we were the first agency in the state of Michigan to go completely remote uh, about a week or 10 days before the stay at home order was issued here in Michigan. Uh, and the reason we were able to do that was because we could reliably um, say that a number of our, the majority of our staff had at home broadband connections to allow them to continue to work um, uh, in a remote capacity. And, and what we found is that not only has our staff of 170 persons uh, continued to handle their tremendous workload and data load remotely, uh, but we've actually become more efficient in some ways. And so uh, it, it, it will be interesting to see how the uh, how uh, the workforce environment changes once we return to the office, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later. And then the other three areas, uh, certainly education. Um, you know, we uh, recently, the, the uh, Michigan Department of Education uh, released a data point that uh, 28 plus percent of Michigan students did not have access to uh, broadband services that could support virtual learning. And, and we just know that uh, that is just um, really going to be critical to assist students with as we go forward. And, and you know, there's just going to be tremendous setbacks that students have now having missed uh, a year. If, and in some cases, it will be two years of, of in-person learning. Uh, economic development. So, you know, having high speed broadband access in your community, having that infrastructure and better yet having fiber infrastructure in your community lays the groundwork for being able to provide uh, new employment opportunities, new businesses, industrial manufacturing and entrepreneurial businesses to kind of stream in and, and build on that foundation. And then certainly healthcare. My, my wife is a OBGYN here at a hospital in mid-Michigan, uh, and and she still is seeing a considerable amount of patients uh, virtually uh, through their telehealth services, but they, they those services need to be improved. They're still in kind of version 1.0, and so we need to direct more federal and state dollars to helping healthcare systems uh, embrace and adopt the newest and the best technologies so that we're not 
having decreased uh, health services or outcomes for patients because they have to engage with their uh, physician virtually. Um, and then the, the, the additional item that I would like to add, which is the point that you've already brought up, is that you know broadband will also be critically important as we look at decarbonization and climate change mitigation. Uh, here in the state of Michigan, I, I do not believe that there will be another coal plant uh, ever built here in the state of Michigan. And that, that is not due to uh, our regulatory framework. That's due to um, the investment community. That's due to corporate demand for cleaner energy resources and the fact that it is uh, riskier and more costly to run and to own a uh, uh, a fossil fuel generating asset like a coal plant when compared to a commercial solar or a wind farm. Um, but in order to deploy, uh, you know, these renewable and clean energy resources, particularly when we're talking about at, at the local scale, when we're talking about distributed generation solar on your home, uh, having a, um, a electric vehicle in your garage and having a dynamic charging system there, it's going to require lots of data, bi-directional energy flows, as well as data flows in order to really leverage uh, the, the greening of the electricity grid. And, and broadband is essential to that. Yeah, that, that brings a lot of perspective, uh, particularly on that energy side. But, but you know, you touched on in several areas that uh, our organization, Connected Nation Michigan, spends a lot of our time working on, obviously. And, and the telehealth side of that and education are two areas that the past year have, have really um, brought to light. Uh, not so much for us, but just I think for the public as, as we've all tried to figure out and learn how to um, live essentially in a new world uh, with, with less capabilities uh, to, to get out and be about, uh, we've, we've really turned to our technology to, to help us get through it. And uh, for some, there are really good stories about how that's happened. And then for others, there are these um, you know, rather sad stories about uh, just how inaccessible uh, technology and, and broadband access have been for them. So um, in your role, what concerns you the most about inadequate access to broadband and technology? Well, I, I think there, there are two things. It's certainly the, the uh, issue of access, but I think we are, are making really tremendous strides to having uh, broadband infrastructure uh, be closer and, and more uh, accessible to a larger set of communities across uh, the state of Michigan. You know, particularly, I think that uh, our, our historically, uh, the federal and state uh, broadband grants have been focused on uh, allowing for additional funding and, and to deploy broadband in underserved or unserved uh, regions of our state, and that is certainly the the rural communities of our state. Um, as I mentioned before, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, we have had uh, a pretty robust set of providers successfully uh, apply for those dollars, uh, and they will be flowing into the state over the next uh, decade. We also have uh, have had two rounds of a state broadband program. Uh, that is also uh, deploying uh, dollars to communities and to providers in order to build out that that uh, rural broadband infrastructure. And then at the commission, we've also uh, been working a lot with our cooperative rural electric utilities 
They are not, uh, they are largely not under the regulatory jurisdiction of the commission, uh, but they do have to go through the commission in order to be granted waivers in order to provide services beyond just their core uh, electricity services to residents. And what we've seen here in Michigan is that um, soon a, a majority of uh, the rural co-ops in the state will have applied for or will be offering uh, broadband services to their uh, residents of their communities. And, and what they're doing is they're using their uh, distribution, uh, electricity distribution system, their, their wood poles and, and wires to also run uh, fiber along that infrastructure. And they're able to now provide gigabit level fiber um, services to some of the previously most disconnected or unserved areas of our state. And, and it's just going to provide tremendous capacity to um, these rural communities that really could use uh, a boost in terms of uh, economic development and being afforded you know, new business opportunities and building that entrepreneurial capacity in those places as well. Yeah, and, and in your role at the state agency, is there a community of people that you feel are the, at the biggest disadvantage and, and how do you believe broadband technology can help neutralize that disadvantage? Well, again, I, I so the, the, the first part that I think we are doing really well is around access. But as I imagine other um, other guests to this podcast have discussed before, where we still have a considerable gap in terms of the programmatic dollars and, and support is around adoption. Um, you know, we know that uh, the majority of um of the U.S. population actually has access to broadband, uh, but in a, a recent uh, uh, study uh, or report released by the FCC, I believe only 64% of residents uh, in the U.S. have actually adopted those broadband uh, services, and and there are a number of reasons why that is. It's not because it's it's not available to them, but it's because of uh, the affordability of those services. Uh, it's maybe because those homes lack the devices that really can leverage that sort of connection, so lack traditional laptops or computers to be able to connect into that service. Are there just there hasn't been the outreach or communication to those families or communities? to help uh, them understand why that broadband, that at-home fixed broadband connection can really help to facilitate uh, all of those things that we mentioned before, you know, workforce opportunities, educational opportunities, healthcare outcomes. And, uh, and you know, I, I, we, uh, it's, it's always uh, kind of the onus is put on those individuals that they should be more educated and know about these opportunities. But what I really think the issue is, is that we, we have not communicated to those families and to those communities and, and, and really met them where they are and helped to understand what their specific needs and challenges are and how broadband can help to get them to the place that and to achieve the goals that they aspire to. Uh, and, and so there just needs to be a lot more work at the ground, at the community, at the street by street level. And luckily we have some great examples here in Michigan of, of community organizations doing that work. Yeah, you know, it's in, in one of the things that we often find in our communities that, that 
we work in is so often there is actually a service available to a particular area and, and people simply don't know it's there um, to, to lend to that idea of helping educate, you know, locally. And so oftentimes, you know, that, that onus is on, you know, someone other than that resident or those that are in need and, and, and it just hasn't been done. And so, you know, it's, it, it's always interesting to, to talk with folks and, and, you know, to begin to share with them resources or services that they didn't know existed. Um, and, and honestly, it was just simply because someone didn't take enough time to, to really explain or um, advertise or educate uh, a local population. Yes. And, and you know, the, the program, which I, d- I don't know if you've had him on as a previous guest, but Jeremy Edmonds, the, the digital inclusion officer for the city of Detroit, you know, his entire mission and the goal of the Connect 313 effort that they have launched in the city of Detroit is to uh, ensure that every Detroiter is fully digitally included. And, and frankly, there should be a role or an entire team of individuals with that goal and mission in mind in every, uh, certainly every large city, uh, but in every medium and uh, sized and rural community in our country, because we really need uh, folks getting out there door to door, not only to communicate uh, that that uh, the, those services are available, but to really understand and listen to the community to see how uh, those services can better, again, help them aspire and prosper uh, and meet the goals that they achieve to uh, uh, achieve to implement. Sure, and and we're familiar with with his work. I haven't had him on yet, uh, but but certainly he we are familiar with his work and have had many conversations and discussions about how to collaborate with one another. Um, and and you're absolutely right. The work that he does there is crucial, and and to have that type of um, resource and, and people who have the kind of care that he does um, in in all of our communities is critical to. Uh, you know, really the the advancement of our communities as we look at kind of the next wave of innovation and, and uh, from an economic development standpoint, you know, as we transition from being uh, you know, primarily consumers of digital content to becoming more and more producers of digital content and, and the way that our economy will is continuing to shift towards um, a, a digital production. Uh, it, it will become more and more important to have everyone engaged and actively, uh, you know, I, I guess act, active and capable of engaging in that type of an environment and, and economy. Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, interesting point that you brought up. I just wonder how many more years will it take for the Forbes 100 list to include uh, some of these YouTube influencers and <laughs> digital content producers? Uh, but it, yes, I mean, so much more. This is. Uh, this is no longer uh, one direction like cable television has historically has been, but there's the opportunity for that bi-directional participation and consuming as well as producing content. Uh, Commissioner, in your role, what do you believe is the most important thing that you can do to help impact the digital future of those you serve? Well, in, in my role, uh, certainly helping to ensure that, that um, we can best leverage the uh, broadband infrastructure and assets that we already have in our community. And that's through, again, just uh, uh, helping to empower those 
organizations and those other agencies to reach out to communities and, and ensure that uh, families and residents know that those services are available and, and helping them understand what the benefits of that connectivity can be. I also think that our particular role is trying to be innovative and explore uh, how we can better leverage, when talking about existing infrastructure, better leverage the broadband and fiber infrastructure that has been laid down by the uh, investor-owned utilities and distribution utilities in our state. I, I, we are seeing that, uh, that discussion happen in other communities across the country. We know that our utilities have uh, a tremendous amount of broadband infrastructure that they've deployed in order to ensure the connectivity of their substations and, and uh, ensure the reliability and communication of their poles and wires across the state. Uh, but they only use a certain percentage or capacity of those uh, company-owned networks. And certainly there's privacy, there's security concerns, but if there are the opportunities to allow some of those threads of fiber to be used to um, better connect uh, or deploy middle mile fiber that, that other providers can connect into, I, I think that's uh, something that we certainly uh, can begin to explore and, and see what that may look like in our state. And, and then finally, um, it's around this adoption issue. Uh, that's the area where we certainly had the least amount of regulatory authority. Uh, but uh, through the various roles uh, that we play in state government through the statewide and national task force that we participate in, we certainly have the opportunity to uh, point to, to uh, lift up and to uh, better point out some of the uh, great exemplar uh, exemplar examples of, of successful programs and, and project leaders uh, that are moving on some of these efforts like Connect 313 in Detroit and in other places across the country. Commissioner Phillips, as we start to, to wrap up today, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd want to share or that you would want to discuss today? Well, I just uh, I would like to say, uh, you know, kudos to your organization. I've worked with Eric Frederick here in Michigan for now uh, just about a decade. Um, I worked with him when I was a part of the Prima Civitas Foundation, and, and we were working with a national project called GigU, which was helping to uh, allow for providers to connect into the fiber infrastructure that universities have built out and to help build out uh, broadband infrastructure in communities uh, through that, that those foundational um, broadband services that have been established by uh, the universities and college networks throughout the country. And, and I just really, uh, I appreciate um, your organization's leadership and work in this area. I, I think it has been one of the uh, untold stories here in Michigan is, is about how much of our broadband work and the, the language that we use has come out of uh, connected Nation and out of Connect Michigan here. One of the efforts that we recently partnered on uh, was the uh, development of a Wi-Fi hotspots map here in the state of Michigan. Uh, you know, we asked uh, not only private providers and private companies, but also worked with different state agencies like the Michigan Department of Education and the Department of Libraries in order to create a publicly available resource that uh, provided all of the uh, open and available uh, Wi-Fi hotspots locations uh, 
uh, here uh, in the state or as many as we could acquire. And that was really essential during the beginning stages of the pandemic when uh, you know we had one of the uh, more stringent stay-at-home orders in the country. And so for those uh, individuals who relied on, rel- uh, relied on uh, a library or a coffee shop in order to access broadband services, uh, this provided those other locations that they could access from a parking lot um, and and hopefully reduce their exposure to the novel coronavirus by being able to access those locations without having to enter into a store or uh, another uh, indoor location. So it's just been a long term partnership. Uh, you know, Connected Nation and Connect Michigan are now helping to really uh accelerate our uh, broadband state broadband task force, which is the the first um, uh, task force centered around this issue that I believe has been uh, established in in state government here in Michigan. And just really excited to see what we're able to work together and accomplish uh, with a new administration uh, at the federal level coming in and, and a Congress that I think is very well attuned to the the need uh, for additional dollars to support, again, not only access, but the adoption of high-speed broadband uh, across the country. Uh, we appreciate that. And it's certainly an exciting time with with everything that's going on at the federal level uh, related to broadband and, and particularly the funding that's that went out towards the end of last year, or at least was announced towards the end of last year, and, and all that uh, we may see in, in the new FCC and, and under this new administration, uh, there's there's a lot to be, uh, I guess, to learn at this point, uh, but it certainly will have an Im- a direct impact at the local level. And we're excited that Michigan has taken on uh, the task force and, and has really begun to, I guess, to put its head down and, and do everything it can to uh, answer the answer the call uh, to ensure that everybody has service and, and can access it as well or, or have uh, the ability to adopt it as well. Uh, we thank you and, and, and thank you for everything you're doing to help secure a digital future for the for Michiganders. Well, I thank you for coming to, to speak with us and uh, I'm going to do my best to try and catch this Starlink pass. So I'm excited for that. Today's guest has been Michigan Public Service Commissioner Tremaine Phillips. I'm Wes Kerr. Thanks for listening to Keeping Connected. If you like the show and want to know more about our nonprofit, head to ConnectedNation.org and look for the latest episodes on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.